Hello, welcome to the Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards podcast for the week of December 9, 2013. This is episode number 214, and I am Chris Bevelo, president of Interval. We're the healthcare marketing firm that puts on the podcast. With me today, on the left, starting on the left, are... Is uh, Adam Meyer, creative director at Interval. And Jackie Olson, account manager with Interval. Olson. Who's Jackie Olson? I don't know. Jackie, She's with us. Jackie O-Yo. Jackie Yo-Yo? O-Yo. <laughs> you guys can just call me Jackie O from here on out. <laughs> we'll do that. So did, did you guys survive the, the holiday break? Did you survive? Let's see if I can get all these straight. Did you survive uh, Brown Thursday, Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, Cyber Monday, and Give Back Tuesday? Barely. Give back Tuesday. Yeah, I don't leave the house. I just stay indoors like any other day. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's it's survivable to me. You mean you didn't We're, line up at 6 in the morning on Thanksgiving morning to get some door buster deals? That's that's just kind of disgusting. No, I know. It is. I agree. That is. It's it's absurd. I agree. I don't I don't I don't appreciate stores being open on Thursday. I appreciate the gas station being open. I appreciate someone being at the hospital. Um, I don't think Walmart <laughs> needs to be open on Thursday or Target or any other gigantic retail chain. I know. Nothing's sacred anymore. Nothing's sacred. No. I agree with you. And, I, and I'm very bothered by the people who kind of wave it off and say, well, who cares? You know, the what let's not worry about the employees you know they they have a choice as to whether they want to work if they don't like it they can just work somewhere else i think anybody who says that has no concept of how so many people in this country live paycheck Mm -hmm. to paycheck you know people in poverty people working two to three jobs just to make ends meet they don't have the luxury of saying you know well you're gonna make them work thanksgiving i'm just gonna quit and find another job Maybe you've been under a rock for the last five years, but our economy is still <laughs> sucking, especially for folks at that level. So right. it, yeah. it's so arrogant and disconnected to say that, especially when what you're substantiating is your right to shop for a freaking 30-inch TV on Thanksgiving. I mean, wait a day. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no joke. It's even more disturbing then. Anyway. Is that why? There were some... There were some photos floating around of from from the well. I mean, there's plenty of video fo- video fights breaking out of Walmart, pictures floating around. But there was one from Target that I thought was astounding, where like literally every cart you could see in this sea of carts had like a gigantic flat screen TV box in it. This is this myriad of of giant boxes sticking out of uh, giant giant flat boxes sticking out of carts. It was just kind of bizarre. What does our world come to? Is yeah, that- you know, I stay home. Yeah, I, I shop from. I don't think we did any shopping like online even on that day, but that's typically where we do all of our, all of our. The vast majority of our holiday shopping happens online these days. Well, where does the this whole brown Thursday come in? Is that just because it's like the worst color ever, and so they're gonna? <laughs> no, I just think it's because it's not completely black. Like Black Friday right. is everybody under the sun is open. I assume it's brown because it's not a hundred percent of the stores, but. Right. It's like a brownout versus a blackout. A brownout is like your power kind of dips out for a moment or something. And a blackout, it's like your power's gone. Do you guys know the origin of the term Black Friday? This is a good quiz. Mm, I don't. No. 
I, I think this is correct. I think it's called Black Friday because it's theoretically the day that most retailers go into the black for the year mm. in terms of profitability. You know, black is profitable, red is not on a, a balance sheet or a profit and loss statement in accounting terms. Interesting. And so it literally, I don't know if this is true or if it's just myth, but many retailers don't make money until the holiday season for the year. And it's in the holiday wow. season that they sell so much and make so much that it actually turns a profit. And so it's called Black Friday for that reason. I believe that's the case. But Are you sure it's not Black Friday because people start shopping in the dark? Well, that's not relatively new. <laughs> I mean, that's only within the last few years that they've started, you know, midnight and all that nonsense. So early. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, yours huh. sounds more legit than mine, but. I could be wrong, but that's what I remember. That sounds feasible. So there's, there were some interesting statistics that came out, uh, speaking of online shopping versus going to the store. Uh, Business Insider shared some, some insights from Comscore, I believe. Uh, I'm just going to read what it says here. But it's, it's, um, it's interesting to contrast the, uh, iOS, the, the, mobile, the mobile market share for online shopping this year um, and to look at uh, Android versus iOS because uh, – you know, we look at when we look at these numbers based on sales of these devices. Um, you know, again, according to Comscore, Android is at like fifty-two percent of the smartphone market, whereas iOS is at forty-two percent of the uh, of the uh, mobile market. Units? In, uh, you mean smartphone units? Market. You mean units? I believe that's units sold. Correct. Um, which is it's it's a, it's a weird metric ah. and definitely, yeah. you know, one that has to be taken with a grain of salt. I thought it was way um, higher for Android too. By the way, I thought it was like sixties or even seventy, but I could be wrong about that. Uh, well, according to Comscore, the latest is fifty-two, around fifty-two percent, and around forty-two percent for iOS. Um, hmm. But so they released some numbers on uh, uh, sales uh, based on who was using what device, and the numbers kind of confirm what my assumptions have been on on how people use mobile devices when they when they pick them up. So what 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 uh, Business Insider is saying here? Um, so on average, iOS users spent. Uh, roughly $128 per order on Black Friday compared to 105 per order from Android users. iOS traffic reached 28.2% of all online traffic. So that's uh, uh, iPhones, iPads, mm-hmm. uh, compared to just 11.4% for all Android devices. That's all tablets, all phones, everything. iOS sales reached 18.1% of all online sales uh, for this holiday season uh, over the Black Friday weekend. And Android was just three point five percent of online sales. That's shocking. Um, so it's 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 pretty remarkable numbers. Um, you know when you when you look at it in comparison to um, to units sold. Um, but you know it kind of confirms what I suspect is true. And this 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 shouldn't be taken as an insult to Android users because I own Android devices. I think they're cool. I I, I like them for. Or for various tasks, um, and in some cases, even like them better than iOS. Even though, in general, I'm an iOS user, um, but that you know, it's it's hard to even go. It's hard to go to the store and get a phone that's not a smartphone these days. There really aren't too many manufacturers making dumb phones. So, you know, even pe- people who just need a phone are most likely, you know, not going to pay for for an iPhone. They're going to go for the free phone. They're going to get an Android phone, or if they just don't care, you know, that's probably what they're going to end up with. So it's kind of my assumption is that. You know, for for the for the majority of Android users, they're just the people who need a phone. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not going to do a lot with it other than make phone calls. Uh, you know, and people I think who who want an iPhone 
um, want an iOS device, want it for reasons beyond making phone calls. Uh, and I think that this is, this makes that very obvious, um, th- these numbers that we're seeing roll out. So, you know, again, uh, I'm not, won't claim cause and effect here, but it seems to be, it seems to support my theory. Yeah, it makes sense. Interesting. I know my, um, <laughs> my, my husband is, I wouldn't say a diehard Android user, but we get in arguments about it all the time. So <laughs> I have to share these statistics with him. He'll scoff at them. I'm sure he will. <laughs> well, and, and what, it doesn't cap, what it doesn't capture, as I think the statistics that you first threw out about um, market share, I think some of the, the things that I've seen, you know, if you're looking at overall market share, like units in use, it's probably closer to what you've talked about, Adam. But I think if you look at maybe over the last year in new units sold, um, Android's just exploding. So that may change over time, um, but maybe not, you know? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because Android, I mean, when they count Android units sold, they are counting a lot of uh, units, quote unquote, where you could say it's a smartphone, but it's going to be really, you know, you could call a BlackBerry a smartphone, but good luck surfing the net on that nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> right i mean so, so there's definitely is is it's not black and white it's not you know you're a smartphone or you're not there's so much variation in um quality of, of different things not just internet use so that's true so who knows interesting no, to watch over no. time yeah but you know and it's interesting too i mean if you're if you're a hospital marketer and looking at your uh, you know going into google analytics just looking at who's using your website um you know in general you know just even for web use we see a, a pretty big difference uh, between iOS use and Android uh, and Android use. Um, again, just, you know, seemingly uh, se- seeming to confirm my, my, my suspicion that, um, you know, I think there are a lot of people on Androids who do use the web and do use a phone as, as a, you know, a smartphone, but, you know, I'm thinking a lot of the people who, who are using it just aren't, you know, they want it to make phone calls. Um, so again, these are trends that really are changing though, dramatically. Um, you know, even just looking at our own reporting for like, um, even for, for our marketing, when we do our, our, you know, our e-newsletter and we look at some of the, the statistics for, um, who's opening it on, on what device and what platform and, and, and what uh, email client they're using. Um, iOS is just you know, just skyrocketed to the top and is, is, is equal with, if not, uh, over his, if not overtaking, um, outlook in, in terms of, uh, of, uh, email client usage. So that's been interesting. And that's really just been over like the last year, I think. So this stuff is, is in a constant state of flux, but man, it is changing a lot right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Nice, nice topic to introduce there, Adam. Very timely, very apropos. Yo. <laughs> All right, so we got a number of things to cover. We're already a third of the way through the show, so we're going to have to make this quick on some of these. I'll make this one quick because I can't even give a full reporting on it. Um, I received Harvard Business Review, and it's one of those publications that I love like carrying around because it's pretty and it's thick and it's got really good stuff in it. But if I read an article in it once every three months, that's a that's a lot. I mean, I just it's kind of like Fast Company too. I mean, I love the content in both pubs, but I just find a hard time getting into them. But when I do get into them, right. I always find just unbelievable stuff. And so I'm in the, the latest issue of Harvard, Harvard Business Review. It's in December 2013. And there's a story in here about – it's called When Marketing is Strategy. And I'm literally only like a quarter of the way through it. I've already found just like so much gold in it. 
so maybe I'll just update people as I actually finish the article over the next month or whatever it takes. But I wanted to share this because you know we've talked a lot about brands and the power of brands and um, always trying to find different ways to articulate how important and powerful brands are in healthcare because it's so undervalued and misunderstood. And I love this. that This guy's talking about um, – He's not even really using – I don't know – well, he does use the term brand. Um, but he, he's talking about marketing in general, and I won't get into the whole thread of the article. But I'm just going to read you this excerpt, and I think it just kind of says it all from a brand perspective. It says, quote, a classic thought experiment in the world of branding is to ask what would happen to Coca-Cola's ability to raise financing and launch operations anew if all of its physical assets around the world were to mysteriously go up in flames one night. The answer most reasonable business people conclude is that the setback would cost the company time, effort, and money, but Coca-Cola would have little difficulty raising funds to get back on its feet. The brand would easily attract investors looking for future returns. The second part of the experiment is to ask what might happen if instead 7 billion consumers around the world were to wake up one morning with partial amnesia such that they could not remember the brand name Coke or any of its associations. Long-standing habits would be broken and customers would no longer reach for a Coke when thirsty. In this scenario, most people agree that even though Coca-Cola's physical assets remain intact, the company would find it difficult to scare up the funds to restart operations. It turns out that the loss of downstream competitive advantage, that is, consumers' connection with the brand, would be a more severe blow than loss of all upstream assets. So I just love that. And it, we've yeah. talked about this in terms of like the balance sheet where – when you see a company like Facebook buy Instagram for a billion dollars, uh, the vast majority, like 80 to 90% of the value of that purchase is based on the brand value, not the hard assets. And that's just another way, I think, to uh, demonstrate that. I love that little experiment. Mm-hmm. That's very so, cool. Yeah. So I just want to share that. It's a good nugget. It's a good segue into our um, an article we wanted to discuss, which – uh, I actually saw this. Uh, no, Adam, I think you posted it. That's where I saw it next. So uh, it's in Esquire. I get Esquire. It's my man magazine. Um, but I, <laughs> I didn't. Mangazine? Yeah, I didn't read the story in the magazine first. I read it online where Adam had referenced it. Do you want to give the setup for this one, Adam? Uh, well, you know, this article, why don't you set it <laughs> up? Right. Is, is, I mean, the article Did itself is kind of all, I mean, it, well, I hadn't forget. I mean, it's just, I mean, <laughs> if you've got a specific thing that you want to own in, cause the article itself is kind of, it's kind of all over the board in terms of just talking about advertising, you know, where it's been and where it's going yeah. um, in kind of a high level perspective. So yeah, I mean, if there's something you wanted to zero in on, let's start there. Yeah. I'll just, I'll just, um, I'll read the intro. It, it said the title of the article is called where advertising will go next. And it's written by a guy who runs a small ad agency. And he starts off by saying, anyone who's ever failed to close a pop-up window knows that advertising today is more about interruption and intrusion than compelling narratives or good laugh. We don't add value of anything. We often take it away. But all that's going to change because it has to. Because it's harder than ever to hold anyone's attention for longer than a split second. Because mergers across our industry, like the one earlier this year between publicists and Omnicom, are being done in the name of efficiency, not creativity. Because over the past 15 years, many of those who get paid to practice what's considered the least third, the third least ethical profession in the country, <laughs> I can think of one other one, but I don't know what the second would be, have gotten cynical in our thinking. In fact, no industry works harder at being lazy. So 
his point has been made many, 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 many times over. And actually his resolution to the problem is also a little stayed. He's talking about right. telling strong stories and blah, blah, blah. The thing that really struck me was the line, which is also the subhead of the article that I read, the last one. In fact, no industry works harder at being lazy. And it strikes me because we run into this all the time. I mean, I think folks who listen to our podcast know our perspective on healthcare marketing and our reliance on the old-fashioned, ineffective, promotional mass advertising campaign as the you know end-all, beat-all for any marketing solution. And uh, you know, we advocate for digital. We advocate for content marketing. The problem with those solutions, those newer solutions, those more effective solutions, is they actually make you think harder. They're not mm-hmm. simple. They're not easy. You can't hand some ad agency half a million dollars and say, come up with something cool and run it. Um, you actually have to work at it. And it shouldn't be surprising to people that if you want better results, you might have to work harder. But it, it's astounding <laughs> to me how many times we hear kind of angst from folks in the industry about, oh, God, you know, they kind of wring in their hands. This is going to be a lot of work. And well, how are we going to do that? And um, I don't want to say that we're lazy um, in the sense that we're, you know, that we just don't want to do work. I think it's more that we've become lazy because it's so easy to do that old right. school approach. Oh, for sure. Right. So that's what stuck out to me. And I think it's just another kind of bullet in the belt of those of us who say, you know, if, if, you know, you think running a million dollar ad campaign for eight weeks with no call to action, talking about your health grade awards is going to help you in any way, you're really just being lazy. And and it sounds derogatory, um, but you're not Mm -hmm. thinking through this. uh, You're relying on something that you're comfortable with, you know, it's not going to get you fired because the bosses will love it. Physicians will love it. Uh, but you also know at some level is really probably not going to work very well. Right. It's a waste of money. Most likely. Yeah. So, you know, anytime we find we're, we're very, we always love stuff that supports what we say. Of course, you know, I'm sure there's, <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of stuff out there that's counter what we say. For some reason that never seems to show up in our podcast, but <laughs> never but yeah i don't know if you guys might add anything else to that but it he's really calling the industry to task and by industry he's calling ad agencies to task um right and i think it's I, I, you know we've been doing the same thing and he works for a small agency we work for a small firm we've been able to figure out how to transition from the old school you know media commission driven production driven mass advertising driven model and still be profitable and successful. Um, that's a lot harder to pull off if you're a big giant agency that's making millions and millions of dollars on a 15% media commission. So I'm not trying to defend them at all. Um, this is on clients to kind of push them to say, Hey, that, that crap doesn't work anymore and I'm tired of paying for it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And he goes into a few other little, you know, it's kind of, the, the article is kind of segmented in like Chris, like you said, kind of touches on a, on a variety of things. The last thing being mobile. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, he says we really need to figure this out the sooner, the better, you know, the first brand that can purpose build great stories for mobile that can, can target in a relevant non-creepy way to understand uh, that it's the individual that matters, not the algorithm uh, is the first brand to win mobile and possibly the future. Uh, you know, one thing that's interesting, you know, even, even on that is, is there are some companies who are, who are at least figuring out how to make money 
on mobile, even if they're still being intrusive about it. I think Facebook is one good example. I believe that if they haven't already, that they are, that they will soon, um, their advertising revenue from mobile will exceed or will be like 50% of their advertising revenue. Um, so, I mean, clearly they're, and, and they're profitable, obviously. So, uh, you know, they're, they're figuring out what works on, on the mobile front. Um, and I will say, you know, so I've actually tapped on a few things that have showed up on Facebook in my, in my feed, um, typically as kind of like app, uh, related, uh, advertisements, something, something that was fairly well targeted and I tapped it and it brought me to the app store. And, you know, I, in a couple of cases, I think I even bought, bought some apps. So, um, you know, I think they're, they've, they've, they've gotten through to me on, on a couple of occasions. So. Um, again, it's, it's still kind of intrusive. It's not necessarily about storytelling in that case. Um, but I think they're, they're figuring out how to be effective mm-hmm. and relevant. Yeah. I mean, and a lot of this too goes to the kind of the, if you start from a perspective of we have to tell, I mean, that's part of what he's saying is we have to tell our story. Um, you're selling something. You may be selling your story. Um, and, and you may not be as blatant as trying to sell a product or a service or, you know, where most of our industry gets stuck, but you're still trying to sell something as opposed mm-hmm. to turning it around and saying, what can we provide to our audiences that's of value to them? And through that, they're going to get our story through that. They're going to find the services that are relevant and appropriate for them. Um, if you start thinking that way, it, it, I think it's easier to approach mobile because it's not about how can I disrupt what you're doing to tell my story? Well, you know, I don't want to hear your story in most cases. Um, Instead, right. you're better off trying to provide something that draws me in. So, um, again, that kind of goes back to the old school thinking, but just another yeah. piece of fodder well, for us. Yeah, and you know, there's there's a chunk under the um, under the the section of this article, the strongest story wins, where he he gets a little bit into um, native advertising, uh, and you know, he says it's not rocket science. The best ads tell great stories. They look and feel like the content you're already consuming. They invite you in. They make you laugh. They teach you something. Um, you know, I, I guess that's, that's definitely applies to the stuff that, that has caught my attention or that I've tapped on in, in, in Facebook on mobile. Um, you know, it, it felt, it didn't feel out of place as I was scrolling through there. It was, it was relevant to, you know, my interests. Um, and I clicked through and like I said, in some cases made a purchase. So. Okay, good. We're, we're doing good. We're clipping along on this, this <laughs> deep content. We have, we have just one more piece of content to share actually. Um, this is from medical marketing and media who found this one polls highlight chronic disease information needs. I believe I did. I think it was in the smart brief for healthcare marketers. Okay. So this is, I was joking with Adam and Jackie before the podcast, cause I usually pull these stories up and highlight <laughs> key things. And I end up highlighting the whole article. I mean, it's short. Um, and I don't know, some of this seems so obvious as to make me go, you need to do research for that. But then I think there's some good insight. So um, it's talking about studies that tracked adult internet preferences um, when it comes to chronic disease. So these are people that have chronic disease and they're online for whatever reason. Nonprofit, I'm going to read directly. Nonprofit Pew Research Center's Internet and American Life Project found, for example, that internet users with more than one chronic condition are more likely to use the internet to, quote, read or watch something online about someone else's personal health experience, unquote, and are also more likely to share what they know with online communities than users without chronic conditions, which, mm-hmm. shocking, I guess. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that seems like common <laughs> sense, but I guess, you know. Yeah, a little bit. It, it's it's one of those things I, I shouldn't deride this because 
There's a lot of what we believe that I think is just basic common sense. And I often phrase this in terms of like proving the world is round. Um, and then, you know, like you'll say something like brands are really important. And then you'll have some, you know, jerkwad in a meeting who says, well, boy, how do you know? Prove it. You know, we're doing research. It shows the brands are, you know, important. And you just want to go, okay, that's like somebody like coming to you now and saying, prove that the world is round. How would you go about that? You know, you're like, what? Right. You know, so you're just taking it back. Yeah. You, you know, it's, <laughs> it's such a fundamental known. Right. And so mm-hmm. it, it should be intuitive and common sense that the more chronic diseases you have, the more likely you are going to use the Internet to read or watch something about someone else's experience. Right. I, but if you have to build that case, now you have, you know, Pew right. Research Center's, you know, study to back you up and somebody goes, well, Prove that, and this stuff happens all the time. I mean, we had a client a few years ago who, you know, there was charged with you know promoting like twenty service lines, and the VP of marketing went to the CEO and said, you know, we really need to focus on three or four of these. We can't expect our markets to really, um, you know, we, we can't we can't expect them to, to absorb all this. We can't expect consumers to to take in information about twenty service lines. And the CEO was like, well, I don't know if I buy that premise. You know, I don't know if I believe that consumers can't handle all this. And you're like, okay, so you're arguing with the, the basically the philosophy of positioning, which has been around since the early 70s and is a known quantity in business and marketing. How do you, how do you go, okay, so now I have to convince you that consumers can only hold a few thoughts in their head? What? Seriously? <laughs> anyway, you guys have nothing to say to that? You don't agree? <laughs> Well, you just don't want to stand in the way of my rant train. Yeah, we're just going to let you go. <laughs> All right, but there's there's more to this. Um, here's an interesting thing. Decision resources, I don't know what the hell that is. Where's decision resources? All of a sudden. It, well, it's capitalized, so it's, clearly it's like, is it like a pew type place. Seems like it. Maybe it's another... Maybe it's another um, study. Yeah, that's my guess. Decision Resources finds that this sort of soft support as opposed to a straightforward brand message is important to note because while 68% of pulled baby boomers who make up the majority of patients with chronic diseases said they use the Internet, they generally gravitate toward broad-based health websites like WebMD for disease and drug information. So there's two messages there. One is, again, content marketing is more Mm -hmm. attractive than promotional marketing. Um, the other is that they gravitate toward health websites. Now, they may do that because our clientele, our audience, hospitals and health systems, aren't providing that content. So where else can they go? Um, because later it says um, Pew also took it further and found that patients are using the Internet to stockpile data and support but are more likely to depend on clinicians for a diagnosis. So there's the key uh, because you can mm-hmm. actually attract them with broad-based uh, health information if it's tied to your local provider services, um, your experts, your clinicians, whatever, uh, because that in the end is what people actually need. They may need an encyclopedia to understand what type 2 diabetes means, but if they need care, if they want input, if they want support, they're much more likely to go to someone they know, someone that's around the corner, than a website um, mm-hmm. for that level uh, of experience. So. <clears throat> That's good to remember too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> Anything else from this you guys want to tout? 
I kind of just covered like the entire article there. <laughs> I think you got it all. <laughs> oh, some good stuff in there. It's one of those, I feel like when you're talking about this is one of those resources that we might be able to use in the future to kind of back up some stuff. So it's, it's kind of a good piece to have in your back pocket, even though some of it's kind of obvious. Yeah. Yep. We should be, we collect all this stuff and then we, we roll it out as we need to for the people that are non-believers. <laughs> Make them a believer. <laughs> the non-believers. All right. Well, that's our official roster for the day. We're coming up on 30 minutes, so we should probably wrap it up. I was going to um, promote a new story or a new TV show that I can't wait for. Mob City. What is it? Mob City. I've not heard of that. It it, Uh -uh. kind of combines three things that I love in my fiction. The mob, Frank Darabont, who was the original creator of Walking Dead, and uh, one of the stars of Walking Dead, um, John Barenthal, who played a key role, who's no longer on the show, uh, along with um, Ed Burns, who I love Ed Burns as an oh, actor. Oh, I like him a lot too, yeah. yeah. Frank Darabont, by the way, directed The Shawshank Redemption and The Green Mile, if you're curious. Awesome movies. I love Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, what? The Green Mile is a great movie too. So, What, spe- um, what network? Uh, it is on, uh, good question. I'm going to say AMC, though I can't, I can't find that in the story here, which is kind of silly. Um, by the way, what's interesting when now we say Shawshank Redemption, uh, my daughter wanted to see Forrest Gump. So we watched oh, yeah. that this weekend. Um, and it holds about up about as well as it did back then, which is, I thought it was good, but not like award winning good because it won mm-hmm. best movie. And it won Best Movie over both Pulp Fiction and The Shawshank Redemption, which in retrospect is criminal. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> yeah. I thought The Shawshank wow. Redemption definitely won Best Picture. Nope. Nope. It's equivalent to um, Shakespeare in Love winning Best Picture over Saving Private Ryan. Just completely asinine. <laughs> I don't know how that happens, but anyway. So, wow, those are, those are three pretty big movies in a single year. I didn't realize those were all. I didn't either. Shawshank Redemption – uh crap no i just forgot the other one Pulp 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 tarantino yeah, yeah Pulp fiction wow we need yeah. another year like that i haven't that seen one of those year years in, yeah <laughs> it's been a while yeah uh, all right just one more thing do you want a little plug for the joe public retreat oh yeah we forgot that don't forget the joe public retreat like we just did <laughs> <laughs> the second one coming in Scottsdale, February 18th through 20th. You're going to be hearing us talk more and more about it online and uh, social media and that kind of stuff. So keep in mind that there are limited slots available. So if you want to go, let us know early. Um, we're only going to have about 12 uh, participants because we really want it to be a, a very personalized, focused experience. And we want to really hone in on individual issues that people bring to the table as opposed to kind of a, a conference where you sit there and you absorb somebody else's information kind of in a one-way deal. This is going to be more of a consultative experience. And uh, to be able to provide that at the right level, we have to limit the number of people who can participate. So um, seating is limited. Get it while it's hot. <laughs> so go to JoePublicRetreat.com. Find out the scoop and register. Come on in. <laughs> 
I. Well, if that if that didn't sell it, I don't know what would. I don't know. <laughs> You're gonna have to cut that and put it at the beginning of the presentation or the podcast. <laughs> I lost all of our audience by then. <laughs> all right, so we should sign off. Let's do it. Yep. All right, for our arrogant healthcare marketing ambassadors, this is Chris Bevelo, Adam Meyer, Jackie Olson. Uh, we will talk to you next time. <laughs>